Welcome to May the Podcast Be With You. I'm Stephen Mather, solicitor and your business lawyer. I help small and medium-sized business owners and directors manage their legal problems. But more than that, I like to enjoy life, smile and learn from others. So this podcast is a way to help me and you learn how to be successful, whatever that may mean. Welcome along. My name is Stephen Mather. Thanks for joining me on today's podcast. Do businesses and business owners protect themselves suitably? That is a really good question and something that we discussed recently on a panel discussion that I took part in with the business community. For those of you that don't know, the business community is a networking membership organization based in primarily in the Midlands and that operates face-to-face and online networking events. It also has a really good community. Um, if you want to go to a free meeting, let me know and I'll uh, put you in touch with the host. For now, though, I'll hand over to that host, Paul Green of the business community. Right, so the idea of these sessions is just to invite some experts in various fields to discuss a particular topic. Um, you'll see going along the bottom of the screen, our topic today is do businesses do enough to protect themselves? So um, we're going to explore that and see where we go. We know not where, but uh, <laughs> the cunning plan is just to sort of like pick these guys' brains and sort of see what we could get from them. So without further ado, why don't you guys just introduce yourselves and let the audience know who you are. So Nikki. So, um, hi, I'm Nikki Buckley of East Midlands HR. We partner business with People Performance and we're based in Ecton in Northamptonshire, so in between Northampton and Wellingborough. Um, we do virtual and on-site support for SMEs um, on performance and strategy. That's our things we like to get involved to try and really help businesses make sure they're getting the best from their people management processes. Okay, thank you very much. And Stephen? Uh, thanks, Paul, and thanks for having me on. My name is Stephen Mather. I am a solicitor, business lawyer, and I help small and medium-sized businesses with their, their legal problems. I've been doing it for such a long time over the last 15 years, both running a business or running businesses and uh, being a lawyer, that there's not really a problem that I've come across uh, that I don't know how to sort and, uh, and, and make go away so that we all can all sleep better at night. That's my aim. Perfect. Um, and as people watching can see, I didn't get the red memo today, so uh, being, uh, not wearing red myself. Um, so if you're listening to this live or you're listening to this on a replay, then please do pop some questions on whatever platform you're on and we'll try and address those. So feel free to engage with us. So without further ado, then I'll come to you, Stephen, I think first. So um, obviously your, your expertise in the legal uh, uh, area of businesses. So do businesses protect themselves enough from a legal aspect, would you say? Uh, so I, I think um, I think this, that to, to kind of summarise or headline, it's this, most small businesses try. Um, they do they do try to uh, to cover all bases. And as a small business owner, we have, you know, we're, we're always spinning multiple plates, aren't we? We're, we, you know, we're the doer. We do things, we have to do the admin, we have to take the calls, we have to do the business development, we have to do the compliance, we have to do the legal, and we have to do the marketing and, and all of that. And, um, and and as you get bigger, you know, you might get some more supported. But the bottom line is in a small business scenario, we're trying, everyone tries to do, but there's always going to be gaps that uh, that people uh, fall in between. My job and and and, and Nikki's job as, as professionals is to make sure that we're, that those people aren't falling in between those gaps um, and that they do have the, the right things in place. So, Paul, as you might imagine, 
Uh, every time I've been on this panel, I've created, I've done some preparation and created a list of 10 things that I think uh, small businesses should protect themselves uh, more on. Um, and the first point that I've got, uh, I got down actually is um, is the structure in which the the uh, the businesses set up and, and ran so there's a there's a marked difference between someone being a sole trader and being a limited company and and what the phrase limited company means is it's limited limited by liability uh, limited liability um and your liability to creditors people that the company owes is limited to your investment in the company which can be as little as a pound now practically you might have invested your whole life and and money into it but it means that even if the company can't pay its debts, they can't come back to you as an individual and say, well, you owe me this money because the dealings with the company. And so the first way and really easy way of, of starting to protect yourself as a small business owner is to incorporate and make sure that you are uh, that you have limited liability to the outside world. Um, but it goes deeper than that, obviously. And, um, and then when you start trading, there's lots of things in a business's life cycle that people need to make sure that they're they're covering off in order to protect themselves. And the the second one that I've got down is uh, is making sure that we're dealing with uh, businesses or consumers with some good terms, conditions, or or contracts in place. And they're really important, often overlooked, but really important ways of protecting yourself as a business. Less so if you're dealing with a consumer, because there's lots of consumer rights. Um, but still really important to make sure that you know, if you're dealing with the consumer, that you know what those rights are, what you can and can't do and what the consumer can and can't do and what notices you've got to give them and what um, you know, required information you've got to give them. But they come into their, uh, into their, uh, come into their own really when you're dealing with business-to-business contracts. And this is where you're talking about protecting yourself because in a business-to-business contract, you can pretty much write whatever you want. And the law says, well, go for it. And so if you want to say, you know, go into this contract and say, I have no liability whatsoever for, you know, uh, if something goes wrong, and if that's what's agreed between the parties, then that's it. It means they can't sue you. So, you know, if you go in and like, you know, I, I'm not allowed to do this because I'm, I'm a regulated individual. But if you go, if a business goes in and completely messes up and they don't have a contract, completely messes up, delays delivery of the, the goods or the services, causes lots of issues, then the the um, the customer could, in theory, turn around and sue them, bring a claim, not just for the amounts that they've paid, but the amounts that they've lost, the loss of profit, the loss of goodwill, the loss of reputation, um, and, uh, and, and, and all of these things that lawyers call consequential losses, things that go beyond just the initial amount, and they go much more. And it could be a lot of money. Um, and there's no insurance in place for that or anything like that. So having some terms and conditions or a contract in place would allow you as a supplier to say, do you know what, actually, I'm going to limit my liability to, for instance, the amount of the invoice. So that all I ever have to do is, if things go wrong, is refund you the amount of the invoice and then I'm off. Yeah, no more liability. It's, it sounds simple when you say it, doesn't it? But I guess there's a lot of people that just don't have the, the, the basics in place. What, what about you, Nikki, from an HR perspective? What, what do you see in terms of uh, the, the lack or maybe not the lack of uh, businesses protecting themselves from an HR perspective? Well, I, Steve and I completely agree. Businesses do try. Um, they try to get the right documents in place. And they think that sometimes you'll download a document and it'll have this option or this option. And they'll they'll pick the one that they think is right but not, might not be right for their em employment. And that's where they've just really got to be careful about if they're putting a contract together, do they really understand what the actual se sections are and what's going to be in there, what's not, what policies need to go in 
place. So whether it's a disciplinary policy, appeal process, the same with the grievance policy as well. And again, if they're a small business, they'll need to think about, well, actually, if there's only me, employees, who's going to do any appeal meeting if I'm the employee? Well, actually, yes, you can do both. Um, but you just have to word it, word it, your policy around to reflect that. It's not ideal. And I, I ultimately, you really want to get um, somebody else involved to do a separate appeal hearing if you wanted to. So, But as long as there's a, a process there that's, that can be followed, that's really, really good. Um, health and safety as well. And while I'm not a health and safety expert, I've had many involvement, a lot of involvement with health and safety. Um, and I think that's where sometimes businesses don't get involved because they might have the not have the five employees that they need to start ticking the boxes to start getting health and safety involved as well in as well but also that then you've got your regulations and now i'm presuming and i shouldn't presume i know most businesses will know about national minimum wage and things like that they're thinking about working time directive we've got two jobs which might be quite key at the moment with people maybe deciding do you know what i'm going to go and get a second job to top up my money especially in these financial constraints that they may have be like myself would be able to support these businesses that maybe haven't got a second job clause in the contracts yeah yeah definitely makes sense so steve what's number three on your list then well actually just touching on on that one one thing that clients have said to me over the years and it's particularly it's usually particularly employment law i don't know what it is um but there's a certain type of business owner and manager that uh, that has a you know a, a sort of a disregard or a dislike of all these european employment laws coming over right um and that what they they tend to say to me is minefield right oh it's a minefield i i you know you can't uh, do right for doing wrong or whichever way around that phrase is um because something's going to go wrong I, I, i'm trying my best and something's going to go wrong and my answer to that is it may be a minefield but you can navigate a minefield if you have a map of all where all the mines are yeah. and um, and and yeah it's really simple straightforward isn't it and you do that <laughs> by making sure that in employment law for instance that you your documentation is right because what the law says is that you the only time that you have an issue is if you sack somebody unfairly or it's motivated by some discrimination okay and unfairness comes down to two things one following a procedure or two, making a decision that no one in their right mind would make, okay? And so, look, I can't help you making a decision that no one in their right mind would make. If you're a lunatic and you wanna sack somebody, go for it. But we can help you make sure that you're following a process. So having all of those policies and procedures in place is all just about saying, hey, here's the process that I'm gonna follow. I know that somebody has, um, has written them for me, and if I follow them to the T, I'm pretty much gonna be okay. Um, in my the next one on my list is as as the business starts to uh, to develop, is uh, is is things like uh, to protect the business um, uh, outputs uh, are things like protecting registering trademarks um, and other what's called IP intellectual property things like design rights and patents. Now they they're a little bit more advanced. Um, for a, for a business depends on where it is in its life cycle than a you know just a, a, a startup. But if you've got a you know invested money into a really uh, cool funky logo or brand slogan, um, then it's worthwhile protecting uh, that by way of registering it as a trademark to ensure that no one else can use it against you. If if you've come up with a really good interesting design of a product, um, 
then it's again it's a it's a good idea to protect it to make sure no one else can copy that design or if you've come up with an invention that no one else has come up with before then it's next level stuff and registering a patent again gives you protection that no one else can uh, to, can come in and copy those things and and so those things are appreciate not something that maybe small businesses have in mind they might might have in you know the sort of a trademark side of things but definitely worthwhile businesses uh, contemplating and thinking about to make sure they're protecting because there's a lot of time and money and effort that goes into you know the R&D of developing a new product or, or design or, or whatever it is and it's reasonably cheap to then protect it to make sure no one else can copy it. Yeah, I think it's it's worth saying because I went through the process of trademarking trademarking my logo when we rebranded a couple of years ago, um, and it's a fairly straightforward process that you know there's time involved, but you know you can pretty much do it online. Um, yeah. I think it was around three hundred pounds, something like that, that sort of level. Um, you know, which you know is a chunk of money, but the process is relatively straightforward, and you know you do get yeah. some people can contest whether the logo can go through the, the trademark people, that's probably not what they're called. Uh, they'll look and sort of see if there's anything similar that exists and they'll raise that to anybody else that's got a, a registered trademark for them to, you know, object. So yes, it's, it's worth doing. I think, you know, if you're proud of your brand and you want to have some protection so someone can't come along and just, you know, rip you off, then it's worth that, 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 uh, that process, I think. Yeah. <clears throat> Any, what's number four then, Stephen? um uh, where am i um things like uh in terms of protection so things that are really important um the fundamentals getting a will in place so although that sounds like it's something that relates to um your personal life the, the, the business is is an asset um that gets either inherited by your estate or not according to what your will says if you die without a will your share if you've got a company your shares in the company will be inherited by whoever the law says and, and that could be someone that you don't want to inherit your, uh, your 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 shares. And all of a sudden, particularly in a company that has more than one shareholder, you know, you have a situation where someone dies, and um, and there's a, another person still going and, and running the company. Someone dies, their shares get inherited by could be their 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 spouse, their partner, but it could be in theory their sons and daughters or their uncles and aunties, nieces and nephews. Um, and the the surviving shareholder might not like them, might not get on with them. Um, and what usually happens is that that person actually doesn't want to do any work because they've already got a job. They're already, you know, they're already doing something else. And so you have then an issue uh, with things. So um, there's a, a number of points all wrapped up in one, really, which is looking at if you do have a limited company, getting a shareholders agreement in place. That's a contract that governs the relationship between shareholders. Linking that to potentially some life insurance um, to uh, if you know if the shares are going to be worth something, and then having things like a will in place so that you can direct what happens to those shares. Um, now, what usually happens is that uh, if you've got a company that is trading, what you'd usually want to see is the shares being purchased by the other shareholder so that they can carry on running the business and everyone's happy. And then the, the deceased uh, estate then will just get cash you know a payment in terms of those shares um but it can be a different you know it can be a variety of different options available but it's about planning and, and working that through because you just have to trust me on this not doing it is a whole like whole world of pain and um and it's and it's expensive and it's painful and it's time it's time consuming and it goes on forever and it means that the company which is usually that's where the money's made that's what's creating a lifestyle of the family that's what where everything is 
can't really do much because you you didn't put the the things in place that you needed to put in place. And again, these things are all really simple. But it's not really difficult to do and sit down with somebody and get them in place. But it's a really really easy um, and, and almost I would say necessary way to protect um, protect yourself, protect the business, and protect the future generations. Mm. Mm. Would would you uh, um, include sort of lasting power of attorney in that as well? Because I've heard nightmare stories where people don't have that in place and they become incapacitated in some way, and you know the business almost stops overnight because you know the person Absolutely. can't sign the check anymore. Absolutely, I would, and I would even give it its own numbering in my system. Um, <laughs> it's, that, it's, it's that important. Well, um, I've got a separate entry. Sorry for uh, stealing your phone, Steve. <laughs> no, 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 it's it's fine. Um, yeah, no, look. So, so for for those that um, people may have heard of a power of attorney, everyone's heard of a will. They kind of understand what a will does. A power of attorney is um, is a different thing. It's a different document. There's two types of a power of attorney. Um, so one is about health, um, and so uh, so it's about decisions about what medical treatment you do, uh, you, you, you uh, undergo, and that kind of thing. And the other one is about finances what happens to your money. And appointing an attorney means appointing somebody that makes decisions for you when you're not able to make decisions. Now, typically, people can generally understand that that comes into play when you lose mental capacity, that you're not mentally capable of making decisions um, because you've got you know, Alzheimer's, dementia or whatever, um, and you can't make decisions. There's someone else stands in your shoes and makes those decisions for you. Okay, do we want him to have this, uh, you know, this, this treatment? Do we want him to go on you know, uh, under resuscitation if he needs to, et cetera, et cetera? And for finances, you know, here's some money. What are we going to do with it? How are we going to invest it to make sure that he can carry on living? Are we going to pay the care homes and that kind of thing? But from a business scenario, while that's important, Actually, for me, what's what's more important and the bigger reason to have a power of attorney in a business is because sometimes you're not physically able to do things. Mm -hmm. So mentally, you might be absolutely sound as a pound and be able to make all the decisions that you want, but you're involved in a horrific car accident and you lose your limbs and you're not able to sign documents. And if you're not able to sign documents, there's a lot of things in law that you cannot do because signing is still the way in which you approve things yeah and so you would uh if, if you have the benefit of a power of attorney you can then say hey look i'm making the decision but this person is going to be signing for me and they sign the document and everything goes through nice and smoothly so that means you can change the bank mandate because you're no longer able to do it or you're able to sell your shares or you're able to um uh, buy or sell property uh, things like that that all you all require an actual signed piece of paper on a signed document on a piece of paper and um, you can do all of that if you have a power of attorney. If you don't and you're not able to make those decisions or physically uh, sign the paper, then what happens is you need to go to court and get a court order to say that somebody can uh, act as your attorney. And that process is about four or five times the cost of doing it up front. And it takes about nine to 12 months to get the court order. It's not a quick process. Yeah. And in the meantime, you've got a business that all of a sudden has stopped because it cannot do anything and it again, comes to am, I, am i right in thinking that, that people can do this themselves they can go online yeah and yeah. yeah absolutely yeah absolutely. absolutely so so yeah you can um you can go online you can do a power attorney yourself costs 80 quid per attorney per, per um type so health and, and wealth yeah. Yeah. um 80 quid each um and and that uh, powers of attorney um 
like trademarks, definitely some, you know, you can do it. So I, I, I do offer the service, but you can do it yourself. Um, yeah. It's reasonably straightforward. Powers of attorney are a little bit more complicated. The documents are probably about 20 pages long. And crucially, if you get any aspect of it wrong, then it's all defective. And it means you kind of back to square one. So the same, same as everything else with like employment stuff, probably best to get an expert to do it unless you're you know really hard upon money and then do it yourself but just know that kind of you can make mistakes and and kibosh it all yeah absolutely so so nikki back to the hr world then what what would you say are the basics that the business should have in place to make sure they're protected from an employer employer employee point of view well this might link nicely into the signature so making sure that things are signed so if you are issuing them out there's looking at the and um, platforms that you use so there's lots of e-sign and again and as things went remote and hybrid it's been a really good tool for getting contracts out but making sure that you've got the right backup data but looking at hr systems as well there's lots of systems out there use the ones that will tick to see if people if people have actually read the document so that actually you, there's none of this have you read that have you done this i've got this can i file it you know this conversation as they go well where's the bit of paper well i've lost that actually you've got it all in front of you on a track with a box saying yes this was read by such a person the employee on on such a date but it's a great way to to make sure that if you're put out or reminders of policies and procedures it's a great way great tool to use to get that message across so that you can make sure that it has been read and understood um but also again with induction making sure all that sort of sorted so for me, the main things would be contracts of employment, making sure that's all, all signed. Although if it's not signed essentially, um, it could be taken that it could be agreed in, in principle as they are carrying on working with um, the same, carried on working without signing the contract. But yes, I would always like a signed contract. Going back a step further, I'd probably say your right to work is probably the key thing. That is the thing I think that most will, could, raise a lot of scare issues for small businesses that they've not done the correct process and they've not signed it or they've not recorded the date where they've seen the original documents or they're not using the correct settlement um so settlement um settled status um documents that's um actually they i find them quite easy to use and we're hoping in october that the um UK and Irish passports will go down the same route as well so that everything will be online so it's easier to check, making it really easy to do those right to work checks. Um, and then the key policies that need signing off, yeah, all those need to be in place. Mm. And and do you find that even if some businesses sort of have the these fundamental things in place that they've they've sort of done it once, haven't reviewed them, haven't changed it for any legislation that changes, so you know they're they're stuck with the old documentation, which I guess yeah won't, won't protect them from that point of view if it's not current. Yeah, and it's just that protection from um, you know there's there is claims that people can put in through tribunal for um bits being not right in the contract so get the contracts right they did change in april 2020 a number of key changes were in there so if you've not looked at your contracts since then they're probably out of date even just going from stipulating the hours of work and the days people are going to work that's the main thing that people do miss out and any other benefits that's the other thing that people miss, miss out is they don't just list benefits or uh, or training issues that you may provide even if to say there's no other training that really should be in your contracts of employment Mm -hmm. hit us with another top tip then Stephen I, well al almost kind of 
a link to that um ways in which so most businesses will be aware that they, there's some mandatory insurances that uh, that they need to take out so employer liability is one of them public liability is another one and then mandatory for every business to to take out if you've got public or employers or employees or public premises um <clears throat> and that covers you know someone has a an accident injury uh, at your location you've got uh, got insurance cover but but actually beyond that um you know there's lots of different insurances that uh, that organizations can take out that is a really simple easy way of protecting the business and protecting yourself so you know if you are you're providing services for instance you can get some in professional indemnity insurance to cover, you know if you make a mistake and sometimes you do you know sometimes you don't know it everything can you say something and uh, and it turns out to be you know incorrect or it wasn't up to date or whatever and you've got some insurance to cover you know the cost of of rectifying it or going wrong or if you're um you know even on site you know you can have uh, insurance to cover you know workmanship issues uh, and things like that and again it's it's the relatively low cost to uh you know way of of protecting the business and protecting yourself um links to that is uh that i've got down and and kind of linked back to you know the shareholders type of thing that i was talking about um is is things like life insurance uh but but the wider than that is you know pensions investments and sitting down with a financial advisor and, and and working through that again i know that that's a, a, a it's a potential it's, it's personal sorry um it's a personal thing but it's also the businesses involved and while i am not a financial advisor and this is definitely not financial advice because i'm not allowed to give it most business owners can maximize um uh, or minimize their tax pay, uh, liability by maximizing their way in which they're um you know carrying out investments pensions investments for instance um you know so most business owners will be able to make a payments into their pension without paying uh, or reducing down their liability to income tax and um and so not only are you protecting yourself from the tax man and how much you have to pay them but you're also protecting yourself for future plans retirement and uh, and that kind of thing and again i, I know it's something that in a small business you know money counts and it's really important to me you know cash flow is always really important um but i would i would strongly recommend sitting down with financial advisor um and looking at what can be done even if it's uh early doors I, I, here's an interesting this is slightly off topic uh, but this is an interesting um uh what do they call it interesting thing i've lost all words an interesting thing which said this if if by the age of 25 you've you've invested twenty five thousand pounds in an account stocks and shares and didn't put any more money in it uh until you were 65 and you retired uh assuming that it, you know, it increased at 10 percent a year you end up with 1.1 million pounds at the end of uh, come to come to retirement and um and then if you do the same sums when you're 35 you end up with 400 grand and and it goes down obviously the lower you know the le less time that you're investing so you know financial advisors will always say do it sooner rather than later and for business business people just get get a financial advisor and have a chat with them and start putting some money away if you're not already doing it absolutely yeah the, the earlier start the better i guess with with a lot of those things isn't it life is short so the younger you can start it the cheaper it's going to be etc et yeah so, yeah uh, here's with another tip then Stephen. Uh, well, this one was for, uh, for for Gail, but uh, she didn't turn up. So, and, uh, if you're listening, Gail, now's the time to join us. Um, <laughs> Gina, 
GDPR and data protection. Um, so, yeah. so uh, GDPR um, data protection was a when was this? Uh, five years ago was it that it, uh, there was a uh, hullabaloo about it and everyone was going mad and people were going on courses about it and coming back and saying we can't do anything all right one of my staff at the time said we've got to get rid of bins from the office we can't have we can't have bins anymore just in case something goes in uh gdpr 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 and so what a lot of businesses at the time did is they might have got somebody into write a policy about it right but that isn't what gdpr is about uh, GDPR is actually just about safeguarding uh, customers, individual customers, um, private personal information, and making sure that you've got systems in place to to uh, to uh, to ensure that that information doesn't go out into the wider public. You might get hacked; that would be a data breach, right? And so, um, again, it's uh, it's about protecting your your business because there's there's massive fines if you get it wrong. Um, but it's 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 not just enough to just have a policy in place. Uh, I'm finding lots of businesses when we come to sell, they kind of go, when it gets to the question about GDPR, they go, yeah, yeah, we've done that. Okay, what, what have you done? Well, we've, here's the policy. No one's seen it. No one's looked at it. They don't send it to anybody and they don't comply with their own terms. Um, and I say, well, did you have anybody come in and have a look at the systems, the, you know, the audit the computer systems and this, that and the other? And the answer is typically no. And so it, it does require... Um, experts like DataSense that can come in and do an audit because they look at it from what the legislation looks like, yeah, it's from from the the regulatory compliance uh, side of things, but also what your computer and IT systems are doing because that's typically where the data is stored these days. Obviously, if you've got paper files, I had one one issue uh, when was that a couple of years ago where the 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 problem was no no everything's safe and sound. I take the files and put them in my car boot every night, and and that's locked overnight in my in, on my driveway. Mm, that doesn't sound like the safest way to store all this data. Um, there might be a better way of doing this. Uh, so yeah, so so the, the that one would be GDPR isn't just about having a policy. It's about having someone come in, look at what the systems are, seeing how you can you can do it. Very simple level of like having you know antivirus software on there, which most people are going to do. But also things like um, uh, if you've got laptops, this is getting too technical for me almost, but having laptops, you need to make sure that you're up to date on the latest Windows, that you've got like what they call BitLocker encryption uh, on there so that if it gets nicked, that no one can um, take the hard drive out and still steal the data um, and making sure you know your, 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 your data and software is all compliant and all that kind of thing. So much more than I know about um, and I'm, you know, annoyed really that, uh, that 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 Gail couldn't fill us in with actual expert uh, advice at that point. You, you blacked it. You blacked it quite well, Stephen. You did all right. <laughs> I, think, I think the fundamental thing there is, you know, pretty much every business will be handling data at in some way, shape, or form. Um, you know, even if it's just like an email database or something like that, even your Outlook or whatever you're using. Um, and I think, you know, on that basis, then every business should be registered with the ICO. Uh, information mm. commission officer information commission officer is it um and again it's not an expensive thing you can do it online i think it's about 35 pounds yeah. 30 35 pounds or something like that and they'll take you through the process in order to to establish you know what level of data management you are undertaking and therefore you know give you give you the right guidance and then that just sort of like is a, is a first step you know not the be all and end all but at least it's it, you're being 
conscious of registering yourself as a, as a, as a data user. So Stephen touched on sort of like the consequences in terms of fines. What, what in terms of your world, Nikki? What, what are some of the consequences for businesses not having their ducks, their HR ducks? So, in the so the right to work, there's potentially a twenty thousand pound fine for not having the satisfactory response or excuse for having the, the correct copies of documents and things like that. And again, there'll be some where there's, there's some changes that went over, as you were aware, from April and things going online with the settlement scheme and all, all those things. There'll be various things that you've had pre-expiry dates on. Um, what I find is if people aren't are relying on a, a spreadsheet or maybe they have got a basic HR system, as long as they've got that data on there with reminders on to say, well, actually, this has now expired and they're doing it six months before because it can take that long to request and get more copies from an up-to-date one, then that's what they need to be making sure. There's obviously, yes, the um, tribunal claims for unfair dismissal, um, should you go, to, should you need to terminate employments and things like that. But I think the, the main ones for me is looking at um, putting, just eliminating the risk of getting to that tribunal, because think about all the costs of getting there, you've got to put all your bundle together and all your paperwork, and, all the things to, that sort of culminate in them and it's normally about two years away because i think the, the waiting list is still still that long and it's keeping how used to you know keeping in touch with people making sure that the managers are then trained that how they go through the process and um going through their, their statement and, and making sure everything clear proactive about, about it and get the, the processes in place you have to put yourself through that pain and, yeah, and, and that's I'm, it and it, it's the it's the time issue that most people don't yeah. they they completely overlook and so something like that it's it actually it's detracting you from running the business and earning the money and for most business earners uh, business owners um they they earn much more money running the business or doing the things that makes them money than dealing with you know uh, hr person or a lawyer or doing it themselves and dealing with a tribunal claim or or, or any of those kind of issues really um, that we've talked about, it's it, it's just it detracts. Sorry, it detracts from running the business and earning the money. Yeah, I mean, I've been involved in a couple of tribunal uh, cases in in my career, and they are, as you said, Nikki, very time consuming because you have to yeah. collect all the evidence, you have to go back to you know whatever the issues were and look at emails and etc. etc. And I think both of these cases were. Uh, I think sort of almost settled on the courtroom steps, which almost felt like a, a waste of time, all the work you did because you didn't have to in the end put your case forward. But you know, in both cases, it resulted in uh, poor processes or not following a process or not having yeah. a process. And that's really all it is about. And you know, had we at the time with both these organizations that I, I work with, had the right things in place and got the right advice at the time, it wouldn't have even got that far. You know, mm. just silly little things, just that, that 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 people could raise a case over. Mm. Anything else on your list, Stephen? No, no, not in particular. But the kind of the summary of it all is the the question is: Do businesses protect themselves enough? And the the best way of protecting yourself is is to know what you know and know what you don't know. And if you don't know it, get somebody else on board to help you with it. Yeah, and yeah. And, and that that's that becomes you know what what tends to happen is um, is for cost reasons or whatever people fudge it and um you know they, they whatever it is that they're doing they try and fudge it they try and go well I'll, I'll manage that i'll do this and do that um and that's that isn't protecting yourself that's leading you leaving you wide open 
for attack on whatever ground it is that we've looked at. Um, mm -hmm. You know, kind of DIY is is always you know you, you're open for uh, for attack. So my the the overriding tip would be just get advice if you don't know what you're doing. Okay, Nikki, you have any last comment before? Yeah, we wrap? no, very similar to Stephen. Is take advice. You know, there's lots of resources on there, um, and by all all means, do your research and get up to date as much as you can. But have a call a lot of places will give you free initial consultation um free in the first instance so that you can have that conversation to see actually what advice am i going to need in the future you might be a micro business then looking to take on new employees and as the business grows what are the challenges that your line managers may have so it's thinking about actually where do i want to go in the future um, and and what support am i going to business grows or continues to develop yeah, I guess in both your domains, and fortunately a lot of small businesses, in my experience, leave it till the solids have hit the air conditioning. Um, yeah. And then it's going to be much more expensive for them because, you Always. know, it's more time, et cetera, et cetera. So I guess it's Always. requesting that businesses look ahead a little bit more and be more strategic mm. about putting the foundations in place so they don't have to, you know, mm. so they yeah. feel more comfortable rather than uh, something catching them out around the corner. Yeah. Well, thank Paul, you very much. Paul, I've just, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I've just added another thing on my list, <laughs> if it's okay. It, ju it just came to me. Um, Stephen, because, you, Stephen, and you're a nice chap, go ahead. So when we talk about, we talk about, uh, the question is, do businesses do enough to protect themselves? And for most small businesses, as we know, it's the business owner or the director, they're the driver of the business. And so it just occurred to me that actually looking after yourself has got to be a real priority. And I, I realise the irony of me forgetting to mention that and, and making it a priority shows and demonstrates where we're at still as a, as a, as a nation, as a, a philosophy. But mental health and well-being has got to be a priority for all small business owners because we go through a lot. We have to deal with all of this nonsense we just talked about. Yeah, we have to deal with somebody doing an employment tribunal claim or a customer complaining or a supplier not delivering or somebody not paying. And, and we have all of these things. And, 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 I, and I actually think, and, and, and I know you didn't pay me to do this, but having something like the business community where there is a genuine community around, uh, around small business owners where you can talk about some issues and some problems um, and being able to do that is one step on the, the, the mental health uh, you know, well-being ladder. You know, talking about the issues, talking about the problems is, is, is always going to help. Being able to make time for yourself, do, doing whatever it is you enjoy, going for a walk or uh, cooking or um, singing badly uh, or whatever it might be. You know, all of those things are, are to help people's mental health. And it's, it's a, it is actually, it's a really, really important. And I'm, I'm kicking myself now that I didn't make it number one um, well, because it, it is a priority. Funnily enough, I'm glad you said that because it's a nice segue into the next focus on panel that we're going to be doing because we're going to be looking at the importance of personal development for small business owners. And I'm sure the topic of, you know, mental and, uh, and health well-being will, will definitely come up. So, uh, yeah, a nice little segue there, Stephen. So uh, thanks. Again, thanks again, guys. Um, so these are broadcast live streamed every tuesday at 11 a.m unless there's five tuesdays in a month in which case we miss the fifth tuesday and as i said next time we'll have another um uh, group of experts just talking about personal development for small businesses so thank you again okay there we go thanks very much to paul for hosting that focus on panel 
Focus on panels currently run uh, on every Tuesday at 11 a.m. across the internet on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, maybe Twitter, who knows. Uh, but do check them out. And again, if you want to come to one of the business community uh, networking meetings for absolutely free, then let me know. Otherwise, thanks very much for listening and goodbye.